Hello and welcome to the show. This is episode 133 of the Meet the Farmers podcast and I'm your host Ben Eagle. On the show today we are talking whiskey, although sadly not at the same time as sampling it. Um, And no listeners, we're not in Scotland. Um, We're actually heading to Yorkshire to speak to Tom Meller, um, who along with David Thompson is co-founder of the Spirits of Yorkshire Distillery in Hunmanby in North Yorkshire. Tom and David make Filey Bay, Yorkshire's first single malt whiskey made with 100% homegrown barley from the distillery's farm. Um, Both of them have worked in agriculture in the local area for a long time now. And when I was approached with this story, I just simply had to invite them on the show. And I'm sure that you will find out why. Um, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Um, How are you doing up there? I'm uh, doing fine. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, no, really, really happy to be here and to chat about farming and uh, and our neck of the woods. And t- tell us about your part of the world, first of all. Um, well, we're on the Yorkshire Wolds. I don't know if people know the Yorkshire Wolds. It's um, the same bit of chalk that uh, is the north and the south downs, pops up in pops up in um, northern England and yep. is split by the Humber. And the north part is the Yorkshire Wolds and the southern part of that is the Lincolnshire Wolds. Um, we are in sight of the sea, uh, little, um, just inland from uh, Filey, and uh, halfway between um, Scarborough and Bridlington. So uh, it's the the area is um, quite a lot of tu- there's quite a lot of tourism. Yeah, the Yorkshire is a great area for farming as well. What about uh, your life growing up? Um, how did you develop your interest in in food and farming? Well, I'm uh, I'm still uh, I'm just still living in the same house that I was born in. Oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Quite a few years ago. I'm not going to say how many, but it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so you could probably work that out. Um, yeah, I, I grew up, my mum and dad, my, my well, my dad was a second generation farmer and um, he and my mum and my sister and myself grew up. Uh, we had granny living downstairs and um, yeah, fairly traditional upbringing, really. Uh, I went to the local, well, we went to the local primary school. I, I did go away to, I, went, I did go away to boarding school when I was 11. Okay. I actually loved that because uh, we, um, because we lived in, because because the farm is remote, um, I couldn't really do very many after school activities when I was younger. So yeah. when I went to boarding school, I absolutely loved it. But then growing up, as soon as I got to 13, I was driving tractors, I was leading corn, I was, you know, doing plowing and things. I think actually I might have done a bit of plowing when I was actually still at primary school. But so really just growing up on the farm, loved it. Um, yeah. and, uh, did all the things that normal kids would do, yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about the farm uh, before we talk about the distillery. Um, and, and indeed, all the barley for your whiskey comes from your arable farm. Uh, tell us a bit about the farm itself. Uh, it's a 575 acres of, um, of typical wold land. Uh, we have a dry valley that runs right through the middle of it, uh, which has got a very, very species, very good species rich uh, chalk grassland um, on it as well. Uh, we don't, we, it's never had uh, fertilizer, it's never had chemicals on it. We graze it, uh, we don't graze it uh, with our own cattle or sheep. We, we, we get somebody else to come and do that. Although that in the pipeline is, uh, that, that's in the pipeline for us to take that back in. Oh, okay. Um, we, uh, yeah, wheat, barley, oilseed rake, we've grown potatoes, grown peas, grown beans, and all yeah. sorts of irrigated potatoes, done all that sort of thing. And we basically come back to, effectively just growing um, malting barley and some wheat uh, with a break crop in between. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what is your break crop of choice at the moment? Well, uh, the, the break crop of choice at the moment is actually just a fallow. Um, okay. 
we've we used to grow obviously we used to grow rape but like everybody else uh we stopped growing that probably about 10 or 11 years ago when uh, the yields were not very good uh they they'd got to a stage where maybe we'd over maybe we'd over use that crop on the on the in the rotation but um since then and since then we've we have grown peas and potatoes as well uh, and that's been the break crop but sadly with the potatoes uh unfortunately well the big problem with that is that if it's a wet time when they're lifting it can destroy the soil structure and for the last uh, the last time we did grow potatoes which is three years ago absolutely marmalized the okay. structure, and it's taking some time to get it back and so knock that on the head uh, so effectively what we do is we plant a crop a plant um, uh, a cover crop in the autumn uh once the once the cash crop has been taken off and we let it run right the way through to the following harvest yeah uh, knock it down and effectively that's a that's a break it's a fallow break if you like and going forward with the new stewardship and the midterm uh, sorry in the mid-tier uh, options that we have that's mm-hmm. definitely one of the things that we're going to go for the yeah the, i was going to say that that would work that would work really yeah, well with your leg, system that, actually that's right the legume rich two-year lay absolutely yeah yeah, yeah um, and uh, i mean when, when i was looking into your your business um i've really thought I mean, you've really got it sorted with this one as well i mean obviously you mainstay on on barley um but i think you've also got a brewery on the farm as well oh we have yeah that was the that was the start of it all um that in 2000 well in the early 2000s we were making no money from it's a bit like everybody in farming was making their money and that's when everybody started diversifying and farmers markets started to appear people started butchering their own meat uh, converting barns into holiday cottages commercial properties and that sort of thing and you know, farm shops we were no different but we're stuck on the middle of a hill i didn't really fancy any of that i wanted to do something slightly different and looked at the two resources that we had on the farm which were malting barley and yep. we have our water supply yep. put the two together and after some market research um we then started the world top brewery in 2003 fantastic um how did you and david first get to know each other uh well this is a really interesting one and you'll probably smile when i tell you the exact story but david was working david was working as a as a very fresh-faced arable sales specialist for cargills in the, in the mid 80s cargills hadn't didn't have a presence in our area and david was basically given a brief right go and you know go go and uh, develop some business in this area yeah. so we did a couple of we did a couple of deals and then it and then in 1990 i think it was 1990 or 89 i can't remember one or the other yeah he wanted my fertilizer order. So I said to him, well, if you want my fertilizer order, you have to come and play standoff at Bridlington because I'm short of a standoff. <laughs> so he tell you that he was very cheaply bought. And so he came to play and, was, <laughs> and we've been mates ever since. And the kids, uh, our wives never stopped talking to each other and the kids have all grown up together. So that's how we ended up um, together. Uh, oh, fantastic. Uh, how did the idea for the distillery first come about? Because obviously well, you've, you've, you've already had the brewery had the brewery and basically I'd been thinking a little bit outside the box and looking at and just looking for alternative opportunities. Um, you know, clearly the brewing market was, was a lot of other people were starting to go into it. And, and my, uh, my um, philosophy is always that if there's an, if there's an issue developing, then there must be an opportunity somewhere. Okay. Uh, and I started to think about whiskey and I was thinking, you know, well, the first part of the brewing process and the first part of the whiskey making process are identical. So, uh, what, what maybe we could maybe we could look at that uh, as an add-on, and then secondly, um, a lot of the barley, probably fifty percent, maybe even more than fifty percent of the barley that comes from the Yorkshire Wolds and beyond, that goes through Muntons, certainly at Bridlington, 
goes up to Scotland for the distilling industry. Yeah. Uh, and so you think to yourself, well, hang on, is there any reason why we shouldn't make whiskey down here? Um, and I then started to investigate that, and I thought, well, surely somebody's making whiskey. <laughs> and, uh, and I found that there was nobody making whiskey in Yorkshire. Um, so then that sparked, that spawned the idea. And then as I did with a brewery when set it up, I didn't have any previous experience. So got found on, online, found a very good uh, consultant, uh, the best, I went for the best, uh, yep. approached, them, approached him. And then we had some initial discussions and, uh, and then it sort of started to develop from there. And then, and then David and I just basically decided to join, we, we joined forces and, uh, um, and set it up in 2015. Uh, yeah. It took a while, you know, we had to get all the, um, with, you know, we had to get all the licenses and stuff like that sorted. And of course, nobody in, nobody in the customs in Leeds had any idea about a whiskey distillery. <laughs> <laughs> So it was a bit of a, it was almost a bit of a handholding project for both of us, really, because <laughs> they would come, I would, I would ask a question and they would come back with an answer. And I would say, well, hang on a minute. Yeah, but is that right? No, well, then go back up to Scotland, the, the boys in Scotland. And, and effectively, we worked our way through it together. And we actually have a really good relationship, working relationship with the, with the customers and the uh, guys in Leeds. But of course, we'd also got a very good track record of working with them for probably 12, 13 years before that with the brewery. So, uh, and once we had done that, we decided to go for the, biggest um, we looked at the, the sort of batch size that we uh, were doing in the brewery and at the time actually we were expanding the brewery we had we had doubled the size of our original kit in 2011 and thinking that would keep us going for a good few years and in fact by 2013 we had to double it again so when we did double it we had already got the idea of making whiskey so uh, okay it was designed uh, we put a few extra loops and pipe loops in and different tanks and slightly different kit very very slightly very very uh, minimal minimal changes so we when we built our brewery in 2013 14 we did it with um, knowing that we were going to be making uh, the wash for for the for the distillery yeah um, yeah i mean you you've you've obviously taken the leap in terms of adding value diversification a couple of times now um uh, right now we're at a, an interesting crossroads as everybody involved in farming knows um, and people might be at, at different uh, different stages along the line. What advice would you give to someone who is just at the stage of considering taking a leap? Whoa, that's a really quite good question, and we probably could do about five podcasts on that. <laughs> I reckon so. I would, I, I, just get as much research, uh, do as much research, and uh, as you can. And the, I mean, the net is. I mean. When I first started, the, the, it was very, very clunky. Was the internet? It was a dial-up modem, and it clunky. Yeah. And when the when our next door neighbour turned his electric fence on, which was right next to our telephone line, it all cut off. <laughs> it's a bit clunky. It was a bit. It was a bit clunky. But do as much research as you can. Um, get some. You know. Get as much advice. Yeah. Get as much advice as you can. But what one thing you must not do is be put off your idea by uh, by other people. It's really interesting. There's lots and lots of books written about uh, about people making the break from being employed to self-employed and yep. changing careers and all that sort of stuff. And you always end up with uh, the naysayers who come along and say, "Oh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that." Well, um, there are there are there are there are schools of thought. They call them the shitty committee. They they seem to appear, <laughs> yeah. they seem to appear from nowhere and yep. quite often quite often they're the people who you think would be completely supportive of you 
the problem with that is that, and so the reason they do that is because they're absolutely frightened stiff that you're doing something and you're being brave and you're taking a step you're putting yourself on the line that they're not brave enough to do and so what they're trying to do is drag you down what you've got to do is just completely ignore them um, and uh, I've, I've come across a couple of farmers who've got really good ideas but they were just browbeaten by their mates in the pub yeah. you know and, it, and you've got to be you've got to be bigger than that and uh, and just get over it uh, and it's there it's not your problem it's theirs yeah that is such a good point made um let's let's talk about filey bay uh, how do you go about putting that field to bottle approach into practice because when i was reading about it that this this is this from a farming point of view this this is really interesting this is almost what this is what dreams are made of in terms of adding value well, um, it, it's, to be honest, it's very, very simple um, because we're starting, we're starting from the bottom. We're, we're in complete control of every single aspect of production, apart from the malting, which we, which we, have, to, uh, we have to rely on Munson's to do that job properly. However, what we, what we have got is a great working relationship with Munson's and they ring fence our barley and they put it into, the special, they put it into, into bins and we can go down there and watch it being malted you know, during the process, whenever. But we, to come back to your original question, we've got complete control over all the aspects of production and the ingredients that go into uh, Filey Bay. So from the field, I've got the seed, I've got the seed lot, I've got, I've got the, the numbers, the numbers of the seed lot um, of the barley that, uh, that we sow. Uh, obviously we know where the fields are. We know exactly how much fertilizer has gone on there. We know the history of the field. We know the cultivations, uh, we know the date it was planted, we know every single operation that went onto that field. Um, we then know the harvest dates, we know exactly the moisture that it came in at, so we've got complete control. Once it goes off to Muntins, uh, it then is ring-fenced, and then we get it back to our specifications in bulk. So we, we send it all in bulk, and we get it all back in bulk, and then we then draw on that malt from throughout the year for either brewing or for making the wash for the whiskey. Once it's got to us, then um, the brewer, it's obviously got lot numbers, complete provenance. Um, and so the fact that effectively the, the brewery then makes the, make, makes the wash effectively. And uh, I keep talking about wash. And for those listeners that don't know, a wash yeah. is like beer that hasn't been boiled and doesn't have had, it hasn't had any hops added. Effectively, when you're making beer, you, you take the grain, uh, you sorry, you take the malt, you crush it, you, ex you convert the starch into sugar, you extract the sugar, uh, and then you boil it up, add some hops uh, to give it some bitterness, and then you add the yeast, and that makes your beer. If you're making the wash for the whiskey, you effectively just extract the, sugary, so the, um, the sugar uh, and then ferment it. You don't okay. boil it up, you don't add any hops or anything like that. So it's a that, that part of the process is very similar, but the attention to detail we give that is exactly the same as we do with the beer. And we make sure that the temperatures are all correct. We make sure that um, our procedures are all logged. Uh, if, anything, if anything doesn't happen, you know, let's say for example, uh, a burner fails and the, the wash it doesn't get up to temperature, then it's all logged. Uh, and then from there, it goes into a, a bespoke tank. We have, two, we have two vessels, which are purely just for the whiskey wash. Um, we use a different yeast from that which is uh, used for brewing and that's a really important thing we have to keep those two separate because we don't want cross-contamination yeah. uh, for either process really um, 
once the wash is made, we then take it down to the distillery, and then clearly it goes through the, it goes through the two stills, uh, um, and then into casks. But all the way through, um, we then know with the casks are all numbered. We know which, which which distillations they came from, which in turn we know which washes they came from. Which is so basically, we've got the traceability all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then that's that's how the field to bottle approach works. Because then when we take it out of the casks, we know exactly where it's come from. Yeah. What, still how old it is all that sort of stuff brilliant so that's that's how it works it's very straightforward um what about the um what, what about the water where, where, where does that come from oh, the water comes from a borehole uh, on the farm that obviously that we're on we're on chalk there's big chalk aquifers underneath the farm yeah and actually the farm doesn't have any mains water uh, it must be okay. one of the, must be one of the few places that i mean a lot of people have got boreholes of course hmm. And, and springs but most people have got a backup mains water supply well we don't unfortunately <laughs> uh the first bore the first borehole was sunk in 1937 um, and it we're still using it. it it's still it's still the same borehole um part, I, i'm sure that i think some of the pipe work is still original as well so we're still using that but then i also sunk another borehole in the mid 90s with which to irrigate potatoes and that's much it, it's much much deep deeper yep. uh, bigger capacity and so that and that's but it's coming out the same aquifer the the boreholes are 400 yards apart i think yeah yeah it's coming out the same aquifer and that's what we use for brewing and bottling uh, okay. sorry, brewing and uh, and distilling talk us through the, the distilling process itself um for, for anyone who might not know how, how does it actually work okay so once we've made once we've made the wash which is effectively a an eight percent beer uh, it's completely undrinkable. It's horrible. <laughs> it looks cloudy. It looks, it's got a funny smell to it. It's got funny, all sorts of different aromas coming out of it. And you wouldn't want to put that in a glass and, and, uh, and drink it. But it's at 8%. So we then take it down and we put it through a big pot still. And a big pot still is like a big copper kettle um, with a steam coil in the bottom. And as it's heated up, because of the differential boiling points of ethanol and all lots of other uh, compounds and water, uh, the ethanol is driven off uh, effect. This is very, very simple, simplified. Yeah. But ethanol and other organic compounds are driven off um, before as a, va as a vapor. Uh, and they then, they then swirl around and interact with the copper, which then locks up some, um, some unwanted sulfurous compounds. Uh, and as it's, as it's then, as it, as it then interacts with the copper, it then gets cooled down through condensers and recondensed. So as it's gone through the first, when it's gone through the first hill, it, come, it goes in at 8%, comes out at around about 25%. We then take it and then we do it the same again in a, in a, slight, in a different still, which has got a slightly different shape to it. So we yep. get slightly different copper contact and then it comes out at 70 odd percent, 75%. Wow. Okay. Uh, we've also, because uh, because we're in England and we can do this, uh, we wouldn't be allowed to do this. In, in this okay. Spot, we can then, we, we also have an extra bit of kit that we uh, designed, uh, uh, which is basically a four plate copper column still. So we can further, we, so, and we've got the ability to be able to differentiate between whether we use it or whether we don't use it. A lot of yeah. people have stills with a, with a, that look like a pot, but have a, column on the top so it always has to go through the column whereas ours we can actually divert uh, and use the column if we want uh, or if if not and what that does is it further lightens the spirit and gets it up to about 90 percent 91 percent wow uh, still with a but still very very fruity but very light and what that means is that we can we've got the option to be able to use the spirit still on its own 
which will give us the slightly heavier 70% um, alcohol, which we can then put into casks, or we can then use it through the column, or we can then divert the vapor through the column to give that slightly lighter spirit, uh, at, at sort of 89, 90%. Okay. Then, or we can put those into different, we can put those into, we, we can do we can do runs of each. And what we tend to do is a, a six month run, not using the column and a six month run using the column. And that means that once we, when we put the casks away in three, four, five, six, seven years time, we have different, we have different flavor profiles, which we can then marry together to give us uh, a, a great range of different spirits. Uh, you know, different final products so that's something that's unique to us but what are your plans for the distillery moving forwards well the, the, the it's really interesting because i mean firstly the reason why people don't set up whiskey distilleries like they do gin distilleries is because you have to wait three years before you can yeah. sell it as whiskey exactly and that's a cracking barrier to entry <laughs> and so and you 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 definitely need you definitely need deep pockets because what you can't do is to is to distill um, twelve casks, uh, which is what we do a week, uh, or the equivalent of twelve casks a week, and then say right, I'm going to leave that for three years and go off and do yeah. something. But like, so you've got to, it's a, there's a massive pump priming exercise. So from uh, from the from May 2016, every single week, well, there might be two or three weeks where that we haven't done, but every single week we've laid down twelve casks. So wow. So we've now got, you know, upwards of 3,000 casks wow. laid down, all in various state, stages of maturation. And we then, after three years or three years, we could then start to call it whiskey. And so we could start to draw on some of that spirit. And what we're also, what we're mindful of is not to obviously oversell because yep. then the age of your spirit gets uh, lower, uh, gets younger. But effectively, um, the plans for the distillery are to basically to develop that brand both at home and abroad. Uh, we've got great exports already, uh, exporting to I think half a dozen countries. We've got another half a dozen that are, that are online. We've just sent a, a load to America. Um, so we're you know we're working on that. And David's sales. Uh, this is where David's sales um, expertise comes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely absolutely uh you know ruthless at that and very very good but we're all pretty good at mark you know we're, we're all pretty good at talking but he he's very good at the uh, at the uh, at the selling side of things yeah yeah because well, marketing and selling and uh, a lot of people think that they're the same thing but they're not is that in terms of that um field to fork um approach um uh, do you see a positive future for for farming and that, that kind of approach generally absolutely absolutely people are becoming way more interested in what goes not just in on their body but in their body as well uh even to look at what uh, how, how things like tofu and corn are are starting to to gain traction and there's there are all sorts of uh there are all sorts of uh ways that that farmers can be enthusiastic about the future. I think you know, adding value to it, really banging on about the provenance of it all. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I mean, especially with all the regenerative farming and all that sort of stuff that we, we've been doing now, that we've been doing that for five years. Yeah. Um, I really like the word, but um, <laughs> it's quite interesting because, because we grow spring barley, we've been growing spring barley and then a cover crop, spring barley, cover exactly. crop. Exactly. Absolutely brilliant. And now our organic, uh, uh, the organic uh, content of the soils is i don't know six seven eight percent so we're getting you know we're actually wow. we don't we don't take any straw off the ground um it, it's all in it's all well it was incorporated but we found we lost too much moisture when we started incorporating so just direct drill straight in 
Uh, and that's what you know, that's. I'm very enthusiastic about farming. Yeah. We always um we always finish the show with the same two questions, uh, which okay. I'm going to give to you now. The first is, uh, if you had a message for the public, what yeah. would it be? Uh, just be increasingly mindful of what you're buying, where it's from, how it's produced, uh, and 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 work on the assumption that you should be aiming to get to buy foodstuffs with um, that are as environmentally friendly as possible. Brilliant. And finally, a message for your fellow farmers. Gosh, <laughs> always the hard one. I was going to say this is this is a really <laughs> tricky one because I know it's a it, it's, it'll be a cross between what I think and a rant. <laughs> be just be mindful of what's around you. Don't take anything for granted. Stop whinging every time everything anything goes wrong to the government. Uh, and think outside the box, and don't be put off by other farmers. Brilliant! That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Tom. That is all we have time for. Uh, but yeah a huge thank you to tom for coming on the show uh, and if you want to find out more about filey bay or even sample a dram or two do you still call it a dram in yorkshire um yeah <laughs> so i suppose it's a that's a universal that's yeah a, yeah yeah we do we do call it a dram yeah yeah you could also book a distillery tour with them you can visit their website uh, which is spiritofyorkshire.com next time uh, we're heading to Wales and I'll be speaking to Farmers Weekly's Beef Farmer of the Year for 2021, Alad Evans. Um, so I hope you can join me then. But until then, have a great week. <laughs>